Our last guest on The Wine Show Australia for this Sunday morning is Michael Zitzlaff, joining us uh, online. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm actually slightly dying, Richo. Oh, no. I'll be honest. You feel yeah. caught, caught, caught the dreaded lurgy, mate? Day three of of a chest infection. It's not the beard. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, if, I, if I cough up a lung halfway through the... Um, <laughs> through the podcast uh it'll be all right i've got another one just there <laughs> i've been doing a bit of the same thing so it's unfortunate I'm, I'm lucky i'm the only person that's healthy here so this, <laughs> this could become a this could become a monologue yeah. <laughs> well we've got the right man for the job i've got a wedding tomorrow michael so it was like last week it was like oh i've got to be okay for our christmas party lunch and now it's like uh uh, I've got to be okay for this wedding. But you're such an interesting guy. You've been all around the world. And, you know, it was what prompted me of thinking of getting you on. I was, and we spoke about this last weekend is, you know, I've got a customer. You and this is really quite a strange story. I've got a customer, Jess, whose father is a TV producer. Now, she went to school with Ted Smythe in Canberra, oh, who yeah. we were in a rock and roll band with. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> um, and her father produced a show called Mythbusters. And yeah. I was watching, it prompted me to re-watch the whole thing. And there was the myth they were testing called shooting fish in a barrel. And then they're like, oh, we're here with winemaker Michael Zitzlaff and up pops this guy. <laughs> so, you know, firstly, how, how did that happen? How did you get on Mythbusters, Michael Zitzlaff? Oh, um... Yeah, you know, I'm kind of like that parasite who just stayed at the front door and said, you need me on, you need me on. Um, no, no, actually, that was the time I was working at Crush Pad in um, San Francisco. Yeah. And um, I was there for about six odd years. We, um, we were just down the road from um, from their production facility and, and they'd used our barrels a couple of times for things like, you know, explosives and junk like that. And, and um, you know, can we put a pumpkin through a barrel or something? <laughs> and so we gave them a few old barrels and we just kind of kept the um, the contact up. And then um, um, then it was a matter of, uh, well, you know, how, how easy is shooting fish in a barrel? And, uh, and I can always remember um, Jamie was like, so Michael, um, Tell me, uh, is it easy to, have you heard of shooting fish in a barrel? And I really hadn't. I'd right. heard it, but I didn't realise it was anything. It's probably not an Australian term that we'd use, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but being very American, I said, no, not really. And so he said, well, hey. And so um, they dropped around and we gave them a few barrels and we had some wine tasting and um, and they took them away and um, they got a little bit of b-roll and, and all that sort of stuff in the background which i think actually got cut out of a whole lot of the stuff that was put on in america right because um it's only like a 16 minute segment in 30 minutes the rest of it's taken up with advertising um but it i think made to australia which was nice so um but yeah just you know one place right place right time you, you were saying one of the guys he was pretty keen on the vino though <laughs> I don't know if we should talk hey, about that. But... It, it was fun. Um, yeah. Now, look, you know, I'll be diplomatic. Yeah. I'll just say that it was um, it was a fun day. Yeah. Um, we did a lot of wine tasting and, and a lot of crapping on about barrels and stuff yeah. like that. So that's um, it's amazing. I mean, really nice bunch of guys. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that my colleagues are popping up all around doing amazing stuff. But you were kind of. You know, we you, your family started a pretty famous winery that just won Victorian Winery of the Year. So tell us a little bit about the Michael Zitzlaff story. Where did you grow up? How did it all happen? How did it start? Uh, gosh, I'm a, look, I'm a Yarra Valley boy, born and bred in Ringwood, um, which is 
sort of the toe of the Yarra Valley. Yeah. Um, and um, and my father, you know, around the um, 1970s, 1980s, everybody was buying blocks of land and and uh, for tax deductions in the in the valley and putting cattle on them and and um, the old uh, Collins Street farmer type uh, scenario. Yeah. So he planted a couple of rows of vines, about ten or twelve rows, um, and uh, from there it kind of got bigger, a bit bigger, and a bit bigger. And um, and you'll never guess, you know, some of the first varieties we had planted was was Crucian, um, which is uh, probably the worst location possibly in the world to grow Crucian. Upper Wesburn um, Crucian. Upper Wesburn. <laughs> several crucian but it was interesting because we and i can tell you that during the growing season those canes would grow the longest we had was 12 meters um, so you've got a really cool climate area very fertile soils a lot of moisture and hey let's put crucian in the ground um <laughs> seemed like a good so, idea at the time well you know there, there wasn't there wasn't the definitive book as to what variety gets planted where in those days sure um, in the end wasn't it merlot that really sort of raised the flag in the early days merlot went pretty well but it was mainly cab um <laughs> and it was funny because at the time you know we would be harvesting in april middle of april mm. and now you're looking at harvesting is God, it's almost in february Sometimes now fun, um yeah. Yeah, the harvest window has been brought forward so much and, and we would always wait until the Easter holidays and that would be the weekend that we'd pick with friends and, and it was just one of those, you know, friendly family sort of things and you'd have a barbecue in the afternoon and blah, blah, blah. But um, it got bigger and bigger and um, we went from one barrel, one single barrel in 1981, um, which we actually made in, in one of my dad's factories, which was a metal factory. Um, we were cutting reinforcing bar and all sorts of things. And this barrel was sitting there in the corner. And I can tell you that when we, um, when we tasted it, it actually tasted of metal filings. <laughs> so, um, it was bottled. We did bottle it, but we we're kind of waiting for it to dissolve through the glass. Um, cause it was, it was a very interesting character. Yeah. But, um, had some hard yeah. tenons. <laughs> we, we push on. Um, and so we got a, in 84, I think we got a couple of gold medals at the Victorian Wine Show, which was probably the, the crux of the whole thing. And if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't have done what we did. But, but uh, then we launched as Oak Ridge and we, we ended up in, we're in Seville initially, um, along the Seville Mombok Road, which is on the way towards the uh, Hink. Vineyard, the current Hank yeah. Vineyard, so right on the south side of the valley. Um, bought a few extra properties, planted more vines, grew the business, um, and I took over winemaking roles in, boy, this is sort of, uh, this is going back fully. It was 1988, 80, yeah, I think it was 88. Oh. 89 was a disaster of a year, of course, which is a great, uh, great uh, baptism of fire to get in. Um, and so, yeah, we got bigger and bigger. And then in 2097, actually 1997, we, we went uh, public and bought a block of land in Coldstream um, and uh, did our uh, IPO. 2001, we were bought out by uh, Evans and Tate, which uh, they went their own merry way. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, after we, we sold the business to Evans and Tate, um, I... Um, yeah, I had a bit of a midlife crisis, and uh, I didn't uh, buy a sports car or um, 
or marry a girl 20 years younger than me. It was all, no, it was, I actually just went to uh, America and, and applied to be an intern um, at $8 an hour uh, in California. So I had the best three months of my life. It was absolutely fantastic. It was um, very soul centering, yeah. very soul centering. Yeah. Nothing so, like, um, nothing like that to pull you back down to earth is there. <laughs> yeah. Just getting, well, look, it was fantastic. We were just, you're just mucking in your, you know, at the, uh, it was, it was just lovely. It just brought me back to reality. Yeah. Having spent so, so long in the um, public wine industry. So uh, I, it was, um, yeah. yeah, good to get back to the digs. And uh, so we had our lunch at Mateo's last week and, you know, I think it's always fascinating. People are always going to bring wines that are, you know, reflections of themselves. And you brought a couple of Napa wines along and it was just, I, I don't know, the, the second one, um, the Tobacco Road Cabernet, uh, that was just such a fascinating wine because, you know, it, it had this incredible character about it that sometimes, you know, I mistake at first smell until it blows off as a bit of a cork taint kind of thing. And I asked you about it. Just tell us about the wines that you brought along last weekend because they were fascinating, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did the um, uh, the 97 Stags Leap, um, which uh, in 2001, just at the time Evans and Tate were buying Oakridge, we won the um, best cabernet at uh, International Wine and Spirit Competition in London yep. and the Wolf Blast Trophy for the best Australian red wine. So part of the... The best cabernet, it was the Stags Leap Award, was to go and spend a couple of weeks at Stags Leap during vintage. Um, So they've got this lovely little cottage around the back of the winery in the middle of the vineyard, which was so peaceful. This is definitely Um, Stags Leap wine cellars. Yes, correct. Yeah, with Um, the apostrophe in the correct place. (laughs) Yeah, with Warren Winiaski, and and it was lovely because it really was sort of like a promo. It was it was an honest prize. It was fantastic. Um, the wines that we drank, the places that we ate, um, man, it was pretty good. What an amazing um, part of the world there, that little Stags Leap AVA, isn't it? It's is, just tucked it, away in that corner of Napa and it's sort of blink if you miss yep. it and it's just so amazing. But it is, you know, to be backed up against the Palisades like it is there <laughs> yes. and, and um, it is, it, of all the sites that I have seen, it's uh, one of the top five. There's no doubt about it. And um, Warren was um, was very gracious and, and such a fantastic diplomat. Um, he was just amazing and, and very relaxed and very calm. And it was funny because I turned up there uh, probably about two weeks after Michael Salachi, who was the winemaker, had just left and moved to um, Opus One. And everybody was saying, who's this Michael guy from Australia? Oh, is he our next winemaker? Oh, this is not exciting. <laughs> that would have been and, very oh, spicy chat around so, Sandalina. So, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was interesting. And so this Australian winemaker had turned up and um, it was fun. Um, Nikki Press, who's the assistant winemaker, took on the winemaking role and, and she's done phenomenally well. Um, and, um, yeah, I really like Nikki, very down to earth. The, the people there are just, there's just something about it when you, come from an Australian industry, which was at the time in a downturn, there was uh, a lot of contraction in the industry. Um, and I, I'm sort of glad we or I got out of it at that particular time. And then you go to Napa and you see what $100 million can do. Um, and you look at the wineries like Palmaz and Dariush 
And, you know, who would think to actually build a building in, I think uh, it was Egypt, Iranian, uh, Iranian marble, and then break it all down, put it into containers, and then bring the whole thing out to, to the Napa Valley um, and put it back up again. It, that's yeah. just amazing. And, and the, amount of, yeah. the amount of money, um, and I, I have this common thing where I keep telling people to get online and have a look at the Palmaz Winery, which is built 100% into a hill. Mm. Um, and like floors and floors of it. It is just, it's an absolute rabbit's warren. And, um, but Julio Palmas, he invented the um, heart stent. So you can imagine the royalties from all that that he's, wow. he's made. But, um, but he and his, his wife, but lovely people. Um, and um, yeah, what, what a fascinating winery. That's what money can do. Just on but, Richard's um, question, though, though what, do you, what do you reckon is that? I've, I've noticed that sometimes as well, like getting my head around some of the Napa wines. That, that yeah, yeah. Stra- there's, like that, that there can be that note early on, and it's not. I don't know. It's, it's a, a it's a, well, it's a technical thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's and thanks to you for pulling me back into, into line. <laughs> um, I do, yeah. I do, I do have a habit of going off at a tangent. Uh, um, you and me both, brother. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. Um, it is, and um, and and when you see wines that are twenty five years old from Australia, you get this leathery, tobaccoy character. That, that I think it's almost like a, a savoury eucalyptus menthol that just supports it all. And, and we kind of used to it, but when you cop it out of Napa, it's, it's a, I don't know, is it a, is it a she oak induced thing? Cause there's a lot of she oaks around. There's also, um, there's a, there's a spiciness to the grape seeds, um, that I just don't see in Australia, mm. particularly in Cabernet. Um, and, yeah, it does. It, it modifies as well. And Richard, you'll admit, you know, after two hours, if there was any left in the glass, um, boy, the wine just went on its own journey and yeah. it just changed all the time. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, the Cast 23 was, um, that was an eye-opener for me because I actually spent a day in the cellar door while I was there. And then these guys turn up in a convertible Ferrari and they spent, Spent probably about twenty-five grand, I suppose, on just on cast twenty-three, and they just filled up the boot, they filled up the back seat, and then they jumped in the car and they drove back down to LA. Um, and it just, just made me realise, wow, what a market to be in. Yeah, uh, it's pretty wild. It's it is just amazing, and um, and so yeah, so I I, I loved cast twenty-three. It's the the essence of of cabernet off that. Um, Palisade block off the Fayette's Vineyard that runs down from the top of the Palisades to the floor. And um, yeah, it was just, there is a character about it. And I um, I think you'll find the French people will say that Australian wines have got this eucalyptus um, that they can pick in so many of our wines. Oh, and I, I think, got that so much from US Somms as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Always calling out the mint and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think, Richard, what you're sort of seeing is what I see time and time again just out of age napa calves um it's it's almost yeah it's almost a, a definitive identity of the wine yeah i um, occasionally see it in young some margaret river producers where it's like it's like a really hardcore bait there's so much bay leaf it almost smells mm. yeah it's a strange thing not a, not everyone can sort of has it but um it, cabernet is just such you know to, to quote ben porte you know cabernet is king now yarra valley cabernet is such a fascinating thing to me actually <laughs> it's, it's funny because around the world, Cabernet is king, mm. except in Australia, 
Um, and yeah. it's um, it's quite bizarre as to why we are upside down on the whole rule. And um, we really are. Yeah. Like we 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 swim against the tide when it comes to Cabernet in Australia. And yeah. I'm I'm constantly trying to yeah. Um, it was funny. Uh, Sarah Crow, uh, I I texted her when she won um, the you know award for the for the wine. I said you know bring Cabernet back, and she said it never left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but um, if you had a winery that was solely producing Cabernet, um, you know, just think how what sort of a ride that that winery would have had over the last thirty years. Well, yeah, um, and in it, regions, I think you know Coonawarra is definitely um, you know in just in. Uh, Having a, it's good, I think, thankfully, in a bit of a process of reinvention. Um, but yeah, it's been tough, eh, for the cabinet out there. I think it has, but you know, people just go to Margaret River or they, um, I, I think the, the one that runs under the radar is Cabernet out of the Yarra Valley. I've always been a lover yeah. of it. Um, oh, yes, and so sorry, Richard, just to get back to your question, yeah. Um, so and the other one was the Tobacco Road, um, Cabernet, which was, um, one of the wines I made while at Crush Pad, um, and the uh, the two guys who run that company made their money in North Carolina in um, uh, cash management in in um, delivering cash to ATMs basically, right. um, and they decided that they wanted to make a few barrels and. Um, the prime guy that I was dealing with, get this guy, his name was Dusty Field. <laughs> Dusty. Um, Dusty Field. And um, and so we, we, the goal was to make 100-point wine or as close as we could to go right. to it. And um, even though we didn't have those sort of vineyards, there's, as, as, I think, as I said last weekend, there's some Tokolon fruit in it. Um, there's some Coonsville fruit um, and uh, a little bit of um, Valley Floor fruit and um, probably Rutherford, I think, from memory. So it was a bit of a smorgasbord blend from the Napa and um, it had very expensive oak added to it, incredibly expensive. Um, and um, I actually was quite surprised how how good it looked. I, I think I said on the, the day it was either going to be a, a dog's breakfast or it was going to be the God Ray moment. And um, I must admit, I was pretty happy with it. That was a lovely one. Oh, it's great. It's, I mean, it, it's, it, yeah. You know, it just had all the things you... You want from that part of the world. Uh, I mean, the oaks, obviously, uh, that, that had resolved itself beautifully. Um, I remember tasting, I was over at um, Larry McKenna's place in Martinborough and we had a little 1990 sort of hang. And one of the guys brought along a 1990 Dominus and, you know, it was just, un- it was like drinking first growth Bordeaux. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, just really, I mean, the other thing I suppose about some of the American stuff over here pretty hard to get isn't it we don't see a lot it, it is yeah and it, it's it's sad because there's um there's there's products on the american market that yeah well i was there i was there at the time when prisoner was just really starting to stick its head up um and get noted and and you could buy bottles of prisoner for 22 24 us dollars a bottle and it was a phenomenal blend it was an absolute success as far as blend components were concerned yeah um and sure, you know they've done very well and sold it, and then sold it again, and and um, now we're sitting at a hundred bucks a bottle. And, yeah. and you look at it, and you you kind of go, oh my god, yes. Um, what happened to fifteen years ago, twenty years ago? Um, but at the end of the day, you sell it for what you can get it for, and um, they certainly had a reputation behind them. Yeah, there was a, a place I used to go in. 
Gothenburg called the Grand Hotel and the guys there, they, they were obviously American wine lovers and one of the guys basically donated his cellar to the place and I've never seen a wine list like It was all American wines. You couldn't buy anything that wasn't American and there was like 20 years in a row of Screaming Eagle and all that, you know, Camus and it just was ridiculous and um, I just, I drank some really lovely stuff there, particularly from Oregon, which is another underrepresented sort of place in Australia when it comes to Pinot Noir and Gamay and that stuff. There's, there, there are some phenomenal wines, but it's interesting. I, I had um, at Crash Pad, we were we were uh, online, well, basically an on, on online consumers winemaking facility, and so they could live, work in San Francisco and drop down to um, to where we were in Bryant Street and um, make a barrel of wine or two barrels of wine, put their own brand on it and label on it, and uh, it was it was a really good concept. Um, and we would have customers turn up and they would bring five or six bottles and all of them were Parker 100 point wines. And we'd sit down, we'd have a tasting, we'd go through six of them. Um, and there was this one customer in um, in particular, Raj, and he was, oh my God. And so we'd taste these six and four of them were pretty well undrinkable. Um, the, the VA, the 16, 17% alcohol, the thickness, the concentration was just so over the top. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was liqueur. It really was. It was wine liqueur, and um, and a couple of them were delightful, but they were also the cheaper ones that really weren't Coca Cola, Dr Pepper sort of characters. And mm. um, so that was that was really eye opening for me about the whole future of the hundred point wine mm. Parkerism uh, mm. phenomenon. Do you, Michael? Do you still? Like keep an eye on what's going on over in like in places like Napa at the moment. <laughs> Try to, yes. Yeah, it's not that. Um, yeah, I still got quite a few good buddies um, floating around. Um, Pat Rooney and, and Tim Milos, Marco De Julio from Vintage Wine Estates. They've um, Pat uh, Pat Rooney's a pretty amazing guy. He just buys up and floats and buys up and floats. He's a real entrepreneur. Mm. Um, but they've done very very well and. Um, Zach Long, um, and I'm trying to get a couple of those products in through um, through uh, Dan Murphy's, but it's it's an exchange rate thing. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. it's not it's not the best time. It, there's, mm. There was one winery that popped up when I was over there in sort of eighteen nineteen, which I thought would sort of have legs for Australia, which was a, a newish winery called Ashes and Diamonds, um, just outside of Napa, and um, yeah, kind of you know just I, I could see the. The transition, I guess, away from what you were talking about before, that, that chasing the cult wine 100-point status with all that Dr Pepper thing mm. to another era of people taking single sites very seriously, like that they always have, but also really backing off that um, sort of bombastic winemaking and actually starting to have a little bit more balance showing up. And, that yeah, if ever anybody wants to bring that into Australia, you've got a customer right here. <laughs> It's it's interesting though. You look at you know people walk into stores and they've got the Vivino app open, um, and they'll if if there's a wine there that's got five point zero points um, and it's got one hundred and forty two reviews and everybody thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread. A lot of people will buy, irrespective. That's the whole thing of peer uh, promotion. Um, but the fact that Robert Parker would give wine meris uh cabernet 2000 a hundred points um people who don't even drink wine are just buying it by the case because yeah. it's a hundred point wine and as a winemaker i that just 
oh my my heart doesn't no doesn't doesn't sink but i just go oh um it's it's just one of those really difficult things that um you say well in 20 years time let's do a 20 year uh retrospective tasting go through them all and see what happens and i think people have done that and they just said yeah I get it, but yeah. nah, no thanks. Um, just we've only got about a minute left, Michael. I've had Christopher's asking, like, what's a good Napa Cabernet to try? You know, because he, he's had a few expensive ones. He thought they might have been a bit overpriced. So Probably. is there one, one you can give us that's readily available somewhere yeah, in Melbourne? Yeah, with the caveat that it's available. In yeah, Australia. available in Melbourne. Oh, yeah, up the top. Um, I always like it. I know it's fairly commercial. I always like the Mondavi Reserve. Um, yeah. They... They're a bloody good winemaking group. They really do. They make really good booze. Um, consistent, uh, reliable. They don't mess around. Um, so, but, you know, you can look at everything, Hannah and, and, and oh, gosh, there's a whole stack of them. But not many of them are in Australia. This yeah. is the, I've, I've found it hard to find wine, even at, you know, 40, 50, 60 bucks a bottle um, that is, um, yeah, that's that's value. It just doesn't work at the moment with the exchange rate. Yeah, I know Winehouse used to get some pretty good stuff. Uh, you know, from places. You know, I guess maybe someone was bringing in all that, but those Bonnie Doon wines and all that stuff. But you know, mm-hmm. Contra, I think they were. They, they were tasty, but I don't know if they're still around. I think we're destined to see with the investment that's going on. I think we're destined to see, to see a little bit more of Jackson Family Wines portfolio. Yeah. Um, in Australia, yeah. but again. Uh, Michael's right. The exchange rate means that those wines like Mount Brave, which are here in tiny quantities, mm. but they are phenomenally expensive. Yeah. And hopefully we'll pick up on Foley's um, uh, portfolio as well. I'm pretty sure we'll see more of those come out as well. Well, let's hope so. And uh, mm. it's an absolute pleasure, Michael Zitzlaff, to have you on the Wine Show Australia on a Sunday morning. Thanks for being such a great guest. I appreciate it, and I didn't die along the way. <laughs> <laughs> you made it through. Yeah, uh, you're a legend, mate. And we'll, I'll, Thanks, I'll see guys. you soon, my friend. Thank you.